The seed is the word of God. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, why some and not others? Why are some people saved and others not? Why are some people believers in Christ and some people unbelievers? Why at the end of the world will there be some rejoicing in the Lord's peace and comfort and joy in heaven and others will be suffering forever the condemnation and wrath of God in hell? Why? We don't know the answer. Amen. (laughs) Well, maybe we can say a little more about it. But we don't know the answer. We try. We try to know the answer. Some, Some people say that the difference is with God. That He, before the foundation of the world, chose so and so to be saved and so and so to be condemned. So and so would be died for by Jesus and so and so wouldn't. The difference then is in God and His own choice. Calvin taught that. And the Calvinist churches have it in their creeds, the Presbyterians and Reformed and this sort of thing. The difference lies in God. The trouble is that that denies the universal love of God, the universal atonement of Christ, and the clear teaching of the Scriptures. Paul says, for example, to Peter, uh, uh, to, to Timothy, after telling Timothy to pray for the world, uh, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. So that can't be it. The difference can't be in God. Well, the difference isn't in God, then other people say, well, the difference must be in man. If one person is saved and another is not saved, it must be that that saved person did something to earn it or to deserve it that they chose to make a decision for Christ, that they accepted Jesus in their own heart, that they lived a life of grace-filled obedience or whatever. This gets very subtle. Even stuff like this, remember? It's like, a, 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 well, at least I didn't reject God's grace. <laughs> so the difference is somehow in us. We somehow did something to deserve God's merit. The problem with this answer is that it denies the doctrine of original sin, original guilt, total depravity, and the clear teaching of the Scripture that we've lost the image of God. Again, Paul, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly, foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Other people, so some people say the difference is with God, others say the difference is with man, other people deny the difference altogether. They say everyone will be in heaven. Everyone will be saved. This teaching is called universalism. It's nice, but it's wrong. The scriptures speak clearly of eternal judgment. Jesus, more than any teacher in the Bible, Jesus is the one that teaches us about hell. Matthew twenty-five forty-six. Jesus says, all these... Unbelievers will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. So there's a judgment at the end. And if you end up on the good side of that judgment, it was God who, who gets all the praise because He is the one that worked your salvation. But if you end up on the bad side of that judgment, the frightful, terrible thought of hell, then it's your own fault. And this, and this answer, is completely unsatisfying 
to our mind that tries to work these things out. But if we go any further than this, we begin to speak where the Bible is silent. That's why this question, why, why some and not others, has a name. It, uh, in fact, it has a Latin name, which is, you know, a question is important if it has a Latin name, right? <laughs> the crux theologorum, the cross of the theologian. Because it's at this question where the answers end and faith is left clinging simply to the Lord's word and a simple trust in what he says. But that's where we want to be in the first place. You see, when Jesus takes up the question in the gospel text, why some and not others? That's where he puts us. Trust the word. That's what the parable of the sower is doing. Jesus had been teaching now. He'd been traveling around. He'd been uh, uh, doing his ministry, healing people, uh, preaching the kingdom of God, forgiving sins, performing miracles. The disciples had left everything and they were following him. And Jesus was gathering a crowd of disciples. But not everyone, not everyone who heard Jesus followed him. Some left him. Some came and followed him for a little while and then they fell away. And others, and can you believe this? Others would look at Jesus and hate him, despise him. They, they would plot, plot already in the gospel, already here in Luke chapter 8. The plotting has begun to try to undermine Jesus and his ministry and even to kill him. And as the disciples watch this, watch this thing unfold, they say, why? Why is this, Lord? Why is it that not everyone is following you? I mean, here's Jesus, the kindest, gentlest, most marvelous, wondrous, wonderful, perfect man ever to walk the face of the earth who wants only to do good and to heal and to pour out his life for the salvation of the entire world and not everyone loves him? Some reject him? Some, in fact, hate him? Why, Lord, are things like this? You've asked me the same question. You guys have. You say, Pastor, the gospel, it's so wonderful. It's so fantastic. It's so delightful. Why doesn't everyone believe it? Why isn't everyone in church? Why doesn't everyone come and trust in the Lord Jesus and know His mercy and His kindness and His love? Why not? So Jesus tells the parable, the parable of the sower, to answer that question. A sower goes out to sow a seed. This is not your everyday average sower, farmer, we should say. Some of you grew up on farms. I've been accused uh, multiple times now of being too urban. You know the accusation. So I don't know how this goes. But I suspect that those of you who grew up on farms know that when you go to plant the corn or the soybeans or the wheat or whatever, that you don't just take the seeds and throw it everywhere like this. <laughs> some goes on the highway. Some goes in the forest. Some goes out in the weeds. Some goes into the rocks. I mean, they have machines that do this now, right? That plant the corn every six inches right down the road, just where you want it, so not a single seed is wasted. Not this farmer. A sower goes out to sow his seed. And some falls on the path. Some falls in the rocks. Some falls in the thorns. And some falls on good ground. Now, to understand the parable, we have to first see that. That this sowing of the seed, this preaching of the Lord's Word, is done with a reckless abandon. Like we sang in the hymn, Oh, what of that? 
(laughs) Oh, what of that? But there's three warnings in the text. That the seed just doesn't automatically land and grow into a tree. There are things that oppose the Lord's Word. And, and, and this perhaps is very important for us to know, dear saints, that, that, it's, that being a Christian is, and, and learning the Lord's Word is not like going to school and learning algebra or learning history. I mean, when you went to learn algebra and you went to learn history, you're fighting against your own ignorance and your own forgetfulness. But when you sit there and try to learn the Lord's Word, you're fighting not against your own forgetfulness and your own ignorance. You're also fighting against the devil and the world and the flesh who do not want you to hear and receive and believe His Word. The word that falls on the path is the word that falls in a person's heart and just as they start to believe, the devil comes along and snatches it away. The devil always stands in opposition to the Lord's word. He always trowels around trying to snatch it from you. He always wants to steal the Lord's word from your heart. The second type of seed is the seed that falls among the rocks. And it starts to grow... There's the beginning of faith. People start to believe in Jesus. But there's no root. It can't get down deep enough. So when the sun comes and the beating heat of the summer comes along, under this kind of persecution and bad times, that plant withers and never comes to fruit. This is the person who who has who has faith, but their faith isn't grounded in the Lord's Word and in His goodness and mercy. A person who believes but has zeal without knowledge. And so when the bad time comes, they fall away from church, from the Scriptures from the faith. They're fighting against the bad times. But then there's the third type of thorns, those who are fighting against the good times. These seeds grow up and then the thorns come. And you know what the thorns are? The riches and the pleasures of this life. The good things that come along. And now I'm distracted from the Lord's Word because everything is just so good. And I have everything that I need. And I forget even to pray so that the Lord would come and serve me with His mercy and goodness in this life. These grow up for a while. The text says that they even start to get little fruit. But that the fruit is never ripe. And the thorns choke it out. And they die. Dear saints, these are three warnings from your Jesus to you. That your faith, your trust in the Lord's Word is always being assaulted. It's being assaulted by the devil. It's being assaulted by the bad times of life. And it's being assaulted by the good things. Whichever way you turn, there is an attempt to steal from you that which is your life and your joy and your peace. That is the Lord's Word. But then, says Jesus, there is the seed that falls in the good soil. Every farmer knows that the good soil is the soil that's been turned up. The soil that's been disturbed. The soil that's been sliced through with a plow. (laughs) I always think that the good soil is probably the ugliest soil whenever you drive through the farmlands and and you see the fields that have been torn up for the winter and it's just these big kind of chunks, you know. 
You couldn't play football on that kind of field. <laughs> but that's the good soil. The heart that's been chewed up a few times. The heart that's been beaten down. The heart that's been, that's been plowed up by the preaching of God's law and that knows its own sin. That's the good soil. The heart that knows it can't save itself. The heart that knows that it's no good apart from the seed that God has to plant in it. That kind of heart, the seed lands in that heart, held fast and bears fruit with patience. Dear saints, we, we're in the midst of constant troubles and assaults, but we cling to this word as a promise from Jesus. That He is the one that gives us His Word which brings us to life and salvation. It is in the Word of Jesus that we have our hope and our life and our forgiveness. It's in His promise that we have His kingdom and His Spirit and His name. All of the good things that God has to give to us, they are there in His Word and in His Word alone. When we, leaving aside all illusion of our goodness, casting away all the desires of, of this world, enduring under all of the suffering, and fight back the devil, when we have God's Word, when we do, we have everything. You know, we're, we're taught in the church to sing this hymn, which is very difficult to sing. Uh, Take they our life. You know that part? Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. Because the Lord's word cannot be taken from us. His word endures forever. His word bears the fruit that it requires. His Word gives us salvation. So the seed is the Word. And we rejoice in that. May God grant to us, may God grant to us a full measure of His Word. So that by that Word, the devil would be back, be beaten back. Persecution be endured. The good things received as God's mercy, but not clung to in idolatry. And His Word be treasured among us. And may it bear the fruit of salvation. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.